0: Have your Bibles, uh, please. Go to John chapter eight. John chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be a Bible right in front of you, or you can also uh, look at the scripture on the screen. So, John chapter eight, starting in verse one. I'm going to read it all the way through verse eleven. So, John chapter eight, starting in verse one, all the way through verse eleven. It says this. It says, "But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives." At dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were... Uh, using this as a question, sorry, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those... Um, So we are continuing this series uh, called Encounters with Jesus, and we've been talking about the different encounters that Jesus had with different people. And one of the assumptions that many of us could make, it's certainly the assumption of the Pharisees, is that Jesus would have encounters with people who would probably have their act together right? That's the type of uh, people that a Messiah should spend his uh, time with. People who have their finances in order. People who have their marriages in order. People who have disciplined kids. People who never cuss. People who never speed on the freeway, okay? People like that. He would spend his time with those people. That's our assumption. But we realize that the scripture tells us that one of the things that he was criticized for is this. We find this in Luke chapter 15. He said they The people would say this about him, the Pharisees would say this about him. They would accuse him, saying, He welcomes sinners and eats with them. And when I think about that, about that accusation against Jesus, I can't help but think about our church. And we talked about this last week. You see, our church is in a good season right now, we're in a good season. And we can think about, we can easily get confused and thinking that that because we have new people coming to our church because things seem to be going well, we can immediately assume that that means that our church is being successful. But I want to ask you a question. How do we define success in a church? We need to define success in a church the way Jesus would define success. And our church could be known for a lot of things. Look at their numbers. Look at their programs. Look at their budget. Look at their facilities. I want this church to be known for this. Down your First Christian Church, at that church, they welcome sinners and they eat with them. So I've been thinking about this and we've been talking about this um, because Jesus encountered people that you wouldn't imagine that he would encounter. Last week we talked about the 10 lepers. Jesus encountered them. The week before that we talked about Jesus' encounter with the Pharisee, Nicodemus. And today we're talking about Jesus' interaction with the woman caught in adultery. So I want to start off with a question. Have you ever been interrupted? Okay, so it's one thing to be interrupted in a conversation, like you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone. That's uncomfortable. But try publicly being interrupted. I've had a few situations that have happened to me uh, in public situations where I've been interu- interrupted publicly. Uh, About four years ago at this church, some of you guys may remember it, during communion, there was someone who was leading communion, and then a person from in the street walked down the aisle, grabbed a glass of water, uh, put it on his face, put his hands up, screamed something, and then walked out. That was an interruption during communion. A few years back, uh, there was another pastor that was preaching at the church that I was serving at, and there was this drunk woman that was sitting in the front row, and that drunk woman kept interrupting the pastor over and over and over and over again. And so I had to come up next to her and kindly try to explain, you know, this is not really a dialogue, it's really more of a monologue, we can talk later. So she kind of walked out. That was a public interruption. Some of you guys might remember something that happened even more recent. As I was preaching here Uh, trying to deliver a message, someone walks down the the aisle here and starts doing something in my face, like literally stands right there in front of me, looks at me, and starts going like this in my face. Public interruption. How do you recover from something like that? What do you say after a situation like that? The reason why I share that is because Jesus was very familiar with public interruptions. In fact, the story that we're talking about today, Jesus was actually preaching And as he was preaching, the Pharisees bring a woman that supposedly had been caught in the act of adultery. And so they, they bring him, he's teaching, and they bring this woman in the act of adultery. Imagine how embarrassing that was. It's possible that she was even naked in front of these people just standing there. What do you do in that moment? The Pharisees, they bring this woman caught in adultery, and they put her standing right in front of Jesus and everyone else. And the Pharisees say... This, they say the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned to death. Now, if you look at the law of Moses, you realize that it's actually, they're both supposed to be stoned to death, but they conveniently left out the man part and who knows where the guy was, right? So they bring the woman in front of everybody. What were the Pharisees doing? Why were they doing this? What was the objective that the Pharisees had in bringing this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery before everyone? What were they trying to do? Well, the scriptures tell us what they were trying to do. It says clearly they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. And so what were they trying to do? Well, they were trying to trap him. And so there was two, from their perspective, there was two possible answers to this question. What should we do, right? What what should we do with this woman? The law of Moses said that we should stone to death such women, So they thought they had trapped him because if Jesus said, don't stone her, well, being a rabbi who doesn't follow the law, they would have had a reason to accuse him. But if he said stone her, then then he would have clearly sided with the Pharisees in front of everyone. So they, they were like, we got him, man. We got him. We got Jesus. They were probably high-fiving each other like, man, we finally got him. He has no answer. What's he going to respond to this? Everyone was in suspense. Everyone was in silence. What's going to happen next? Because the, the assumption that they had is that there were two options for this woman. There was either salvation or there was condemnation. Two options. Which is it, Jesus? Which is it, Jesus. Before the sin of this woman, which one is it going to be, Jesus? Is it going to be salvation or is it going to be condemnation? This is a very important question because because the next thing that would come out of Jesus' mouth would determine Jesus' view on sin. Let's try to picture that tension. Like, what is he going to do? And there's silence. I'm sure that since Jesus was quiet, they would have assumed, hey, we finally got him. But in that moment of silence, in that moment of tension, D- Jesus does something incredibly unusual. He gets down and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. Now, nobody knows what he was writing. The scriptures don't tell us what it is that Jesus was, was writing, But if there's one thing that I'm going to ask Jesus when I see him face to- face, is like, "Jesus, what were you writing?" Nobody knows. So there was a lot of confusion in that moment. What was Jesus doing? Was he avoiding the question? This moment for them is, was very relevant. And this moment for us today is also very relevant. What happens when you commit a sin? You and I are that woman. How does Jesus see you? You may also assume that the, that the answer is binary. It's either condemnation or it's salvation. You may think... What's, what's Jesus' approach toward my sin? Is it condemnation or is it salvation? You may say, well, based on my sin, I guess if it's a, if it's a really bad sin, then it's condemnation. If it's a sin that is very frequent, then it's probably going to be condemnation. If it's a sin that doesn't really affect others, well, maybe then I'll be saved. What's the answer to this question? I guarantee you this is what the woman was thinking as well. But Jesus keeps writing on the ground. He keeps writing on the ground now, I can't prove this, but I have a feeling that what Jesus was writing on the ground was the specific sins of all the people that were there. He was on the ground, and he was writing sins specifically to each people that were there. And the reason why, why I think that is because in the moment when they started insisting on Jesus giving them an answer, he finally stands up, in my opinion, revealing all the sins that he had put before everyone of the people that were That were there because right after that, he says, He says this. He says, Let anyone who is free from sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back to writing. He doesn't even look back up. People begin to leave, the older people first, and then the youngest. My question to you here is, What just happened? The guys who were so adamantly ready to stone her, they were ready. Like, let's go, man. Just, you just give me the cue and we're going to start stoning her to death. All of a sudden, something happens and they go the opposite direction. They start leaving. I would have assumed that if some of the people that Jesus was talking to, Jesus would have said those who are without sin cast the first stone, at least a couple of them would have said, yeah, I'm not with, I'm, I got no sin. Boom, and you start throwing the stone. Not a single person stayed there, not one. Why? Why? Because Jesus did what he always does. He levels the playing field. He levels the playing field. He broke down the illusion that there was a division between the whim, the woman and the Pharisees. He broke down that illusion, like, she's a sinner, we're not, we get to stone her to death. And Jesus allowed for all those who were accusing to be exposed, to be shamed, and to be condemned, just like her. He's communicating to them what I hope you and I will see as well today. You see, Jesus, excuse me, everyone thought that this moment was binary. It was either forgiveness or condemnation. Which one is it going to be? Everyone thought that it was about forgiveness or condemnation. But Jesus flips the script and makes this moment not about condemnation or Uh, Salvation, but he makes this moment about exposing the delusion that made them think that they were the ones qualified to decide her fate. Jesus's point was this You are just as much a sinner as the woman that you are planning on stoning to death. You want to shame this woman in front of everybody? Let me, let me let you feel what she's feeling right now. You want to expose the sins of this woman in front of everybody? Okay. Let me expose your sins first in front of everybody. See how that feels. He's saying you are just as bad, or I would argue even worse, because the difference between that woman and you is that you're a hypocrite. See, here's the problem. Those Pharisees did not understand what their jobs were. They thought their job was to appear righteous while placing judgment on others. That's what they thought their job was. And Jesus saw right through that. He didn't see them as law abiders, He saw them as blind leading the blind. He was exposing their fakeness. And I believe this is a reminder for all of us as well. I really do. You see, we can be very critical of the Pharisees, and I get it. But we have to be careful, because it is easy for us to also fall into the same trap, especially when we've been we've been Christians for a while. I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm fifth generation of pastors. I've been around church for a while. It's easy to fall into this trap, like we've achieved something, like we have tenure, so we can like, yeah, we can point the finger a little bit, like we've been around. Like I, kind of like, I know that person, like, let's kind of, we can fall into that. But Matthew chapter 7 reminds us, you point out, you point your finger at someone, point out the, the speck in the other person's eye, and you got this plank in your own eye. It's a reminder. Billy Graham said, and I've said this before, we have one job. Our job is not to save anybody. Our job is not to convince anybody. Our job is not to judge anyone. That is divine work. Our work is one and only one, and that is to love one another. All the law and the prophets are sustained by this. So then everyone leaves, right? Everyone leaves, and this woman is left alone before Jesus, with the woman still standing there. The scripture tells us, verse 10, Jesus straightened up. Jesus Jesus hadn't even looked up yet. He was just writing down, right? And then he asks her, he asks her, woman, where are they? Not that he didn't know the answer to the question, right? It's a rhetorical question, like, where are they? Um, and imagine the thought process in this woman. Let's try to put ourselves in her shoes right now. Think about what she was thinking about. There, because the reason, listen to this, the reason why she had been freed from death was what? What was, the, what, what was the only reason that she felt she had been freed from death? Because by the way, Jesus never says that she was innocent. She, he never says that she, that she did not commit adultery. He never says that. But what was the only reason from the woman's perspective that she was being freed from being stoned to death? What was it? The only reason was that there was no one who was free from sin who was qualified to stone her to death. So think about what she was thinking about. Everyone was gone. And she wasn't going to be stoned to death by anyone else because they all had sin. But then all of a sudden, she was face to face before the only one qualified to stone her to death. Which is Jesus. The only one who knew no sin. Jesus Christ. I don't know. I, I feel like she might have been bracing herself. Like here's the man qualified. The only one. The only one. Maybe that's how you, f- you feel today. Man, you're bracing yourself because you know yourself. You know your own sins. You know your own mistakes. You know your, your guilt. You know your, your addictions. You know your filthiness. You know your thoughts. You know your, all these things you know about yourself. And you may be thinking, man, Jesus knows these things about me as well. And you're bracing yourself like this woman just waiting for the punishment to come. He's going to condemn me. That's the assumption that the woman made, and it's the assumption that you and I may make at the same time. He continues. What does he say? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. This is a side note, by the way. I grew up believing that all those who were going to stone this woman... Had gotten theirs. What I mean by this is that there was this rivalry between Jesus and all the people that were going to stone her to death. And then Jesus did this thing on the ground, and and there was this battle between the two. He won the battle, and they got theirs. That's not at all what it is. When you think about it, this was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment because the fact that they walked away meant that all of these people had been convicted of their own sin. They walked away voluntarily. Something happened in their hearts and they left. That's a beautiful moment. I'll continue. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. A few things about this moment. A couple of things. Jesus says two things. We've talked about this before. He says two things. He says, number one, neither do I condemn you. Number two, go and leave your life of sin. He says those two things. I think the order is important. He starts with no condemnation and then he continues with go and leave your life of sin. I think that as Christians, we get the orders flipped. We can can get the orders flipped. Like we will start with leave your life of sin. Hey, leave your life of sin. Stop sinning and then maybe you will not receive any condemnation. But you have to stop sinning first. That's not what Jesus does. He starts by saying to her, no condemnation. And then he says, go and leave your life of sin. She goes, she leaves her life of sin as a result of what? I used to think this was about condemnation. I really did. I thought that, that this moment between Jesus was, yeah, 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 I don't condemn you, um, but this, you got one last chance. Hey, if you do this thing one more time, I am coming down on you so hard. That's not what it is. He's, 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 he, had, he forgave her. And the result of that is a life change. You see, if leave your life of sin means you have to clean yourself up first, then and only then will you not be condemned. That is not how the gospel works. If that were how the gospel works, then it wouldn't be good news. It's not good news if you have to climb a ladder in order to be forgiven. You know why? Because God's standard is perfection. Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a never-ending ladder. That's not good news. We stand on the foundation of forgiveness, which propels you and I into a better life. I grew up believing that going sin no more was Jesus condemning her. It's not what it is, because he literally just said, neither do I condemn you. This is an invitation, and here it is. Here it is. It's not condemnation. For her, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Hey, hey, you don't have to live like this anymore. This is not what you were created to live. It's not condemnation. It's saying you are wasting your life in sin. Um, I grew up believing this, and he was telling her basically, don't sin, or I'm gonna send you to hell. How about don't sin, and you won't live hell on earth as a consequence of a sinful life? This woman was for sure reaping the, in her own life the consequences of a sinful life. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll be done here, saying there's a better life available for her. There's a better life available for you and me as well. Romans uh, 8.1 says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3:17 says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He came to free us from the weight of our sin. Whenever you feel condemned, that is not from God. He does not condemn you. He convicts you. He does not condemn you. Because Jesus paid it all. What Jesus was telling her, he was explaining her this. He's saying you are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. You are welcomed and you don't have to live like this anymore. And the same is true for you. So I'm going to ask you if we can just close our eyes here for a minute as we as we do most Sundays and I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. Cuz maybe you're here this morning and and you feel like you've missed the big picture. Maybe you're here and you, you thought that as a Christian your, your job was to keep others in check. That's no way to live. Maybe you've held others to a standard higher than what you could even live up to. And you realize that you have enough work to do on yourself. So it's time to, to drop that proverbial rock. Maybe you're here and And you feel condemned by others in your life. You felt condemned by others all your life. But you understand that if Jesus doesn't condemn you, what right does anyone else have to condemn you? That doesn't mean that what you're doing is God's best for you, but you don't have to live like this anymore. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're the person wanting to throw the stone and the person that you're throwing the stone at is yourself. Because sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And you need to tell yourself, neither do I condemn you. So no matter at which end you are, I just want to say it's time to, to drop that rock. And walk away. And so if you're here this morning and, uh, and you've been convicted of any of these things, I'd like to a, I would like to do a special prayer for you. So if you need me to pray for you, the eyes closed and heads bowed, just raise your hand and put it right back down. I'll do, I'll do a, pray for you, a prayer for you. Amen. 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 So Lord God, this, uh, this morning we, uh, we recognize our, our sinfulness. We recognize that maybe we're that woman. We feel like we feel like that woman, or maybe we feel like the ones condemning others, or maybe we we are the ones condemning ourselves, Lord. But I pray, God, that we will understand this morning that our job isn't condemnation. It's not judgment. It's not placing ourselves on a on a pedestal before others, it's realizing that you have leveled the playing field and that before the foot of the cross, the ground is level. So God, I pray especially for the hands that were raised this morning that you will allow for them to, to walk into a deeper understanding of what truly happened on that cross and that the reality is that we're That we're all sinners, we all need a savior. And that we've come into this space not to judge one another, but to, to walk together and to serve a holy God. So we pray these things and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.